Champagne Sharks, episode 28. This is T. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls, R-I-C-K-Y-R-A-W-L-S. And, you know, to keep things fresh, this time I'll introduce Mike first. Say what's up, Mike. Hey, everybody. This is Mike, a.k.a. Dear White Jesus, at Black Exception one on your Twitter interface. And D Mills. Hey everybody, this is D Mills. That's MD Mills 79. Oh, excuse me, at MD Mills 79 on Twitter. You can find me at MD Mills 79. Great. And today we have a guest. We have uh, Emmett Penny. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Oh man, appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Welcome, um, do you want to share your Twitter oh, yeah. handle or any other thing? Yeah. You think is relevant? Um, so you can just type in my name on Twitter and it'll pop up. That's probably easier uh, than my tryhard Twitter handle, which is uh, at Chicken Nugget Deep State, uh, which is at C H K N N U G T D E E P S T number eight. Yeah, and um, give us a little background on um, who you are and what you're into. Actually, before you do that, let me uh, tell people uh, why you're here. You had written a very good article the other day that uh, we were actually talking about and we were enjoying, and then I recognized your name and decided to have you on. But the article was how the DSA screwed up with Danny Fatante or Fatante. I'm not sure. Yeah, if Fatante. I'm Let's just right. go with that. Uh, that's my guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, just just uh, give us a background on yourself and why you're qualified to write okay, about yeah. this topic. Um, so I was a delegate at the National DSA Convention where we voted on a new uh, NPC, National Policy Committee, um, which basically steers the organization. Uh, Danny was up for election there. I'm from Santa Fe, New Mexico. I am co-chair of membership outreach for my DSA chapter. Um, and Austin, where Danny's from, his chapter, is our chapter's mentor chapter and our chapter waited forever to release a statement about this controversy because we actually waited until the organizing committee of which i am a part could sit down to dinner with a member of the austin branch um and so i voted for danny uh unfortunately um in good faith i did and then uh you know through the relationship with austin um after talking with other members of the organizing committee we felt that some of us sort of had a moral authority to basically condemn what had happened. Now, here's a question that I have. I want to know how much of this is, how much of this is um, a vocal minority and how much of this is a very widespread DSA concern as far as this worry about his work with uh, police it's unions pretty widespread from what i've seen so there's a member of our uh chapter that was asked to be on the mediation team which was eventually dissolved to figure out uh what to do about this whole scenario and she was tasked with reading like every single statement from a working group or from a chapter for and against and she said they were pretty much from every single chapter in the dsa so nationally um was concerned about this and the majority uh, was very upset about what happened, which I think is an interesting uh, shift for the DSA. Yeah. Um, okay. So what is the latest with this? How are people um, dealing with this? I want to kind of get a summary of uh, how this has affected 
what's going on with you guys because you guys have had yeah. a lot of growth and i'm guessing this is going to be the kind of thing that's going to pop up a lot when you grow this fast a lot of things kind of slip right the yeah so i think there are people now who are trying to um i mean he's on he got he got seated for now um so there are people that are figuring out what they can do to try to force them out i say in my article that it's not going to be too hard to freeze them out it just like looks really bad uh especially for austin who's having organizations uh that they would otherwise be accountable be like we're not working with you until danny leaves um so i think what's going to happen uh over the next couple years until the next convention is as we continue to grow the surprising thing to me is it seems like as we grow, we accumulate more young people, which means that it gets more radical, which I wasn't expecting. Um, I was thinking the bigger you get, you know, it's going to get a little bit watered down. That's fine. I'm willing to make those compromises to be in a big tent organization. Um, yeah, that was my thought. That, that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, I was, I was uh, very surprised by that. Um, and so I think... It being a big tent organization, uh, which basically means, you know, we sort of take all comers provided you get with the minimum program of the DSA. Um, so we have like anarchists in the DSA and stuff like that, for instance. Uh, that's going to come into conflict with what might be uh, hard ideological commitments you need to make to fight for a more just world. And that's going to create ideological discrepancies and divides. Wow. And we're going to have to figure out how to negotiate that both formally and informally. There was a line in your article that I really enjoyed um, where it says he helped. It's not a line. It's a passage. He helped organize a big cop union. To me, cops aren't members of the working class. They're the bulldogs of the rich. They're white supremacy's first line of domestic defense. Now, I never thought I would see a predominantly white political organization on the rise see that espoused mm. from you know because you get kind of used to how democrats are and it's like okay the most you're going to get is kind of a mealy mouth both sidesism yeah absolutely yeah and when i was wondering i don't know how you guys think about this what i was wondering is do you think dsa can continue to grow and still be that committed to fighting uh, white supremacy. Because the fact that the organization grew from 6,000 to almost 25,000, and people involved in it can still say that, it's, it's uh, very surprising to me. It's kind of making me um, rethink what's possible out there. <laughs> I mean, I feel the same way, uh, <laughs> to be honest, even being the guy who wrote that shit. Um, you know... <laughs> Uh, I mean, let me put it this way. Here, I was talking with a friend about this last night. Um, she was talking about, uh, she lives in Albuquerque, and she was talking about People in Surge, which is an anti-racist organization around there. They're all pretty much anarcho-commies, and that surprised her. Um, and I was like, Jesus, is this it? Like, are we really on the crest of this, where we get to reimagine what's possible? Like, I'm scared to say that, because I grew up in the Clintonite shit, uh, where there was no story of the future. It was just like endless managerialism. Uh, and now that... Yeah, endless managerialism, endless incrementalism. Yeah, totally. Like shit mm. that like, just doesn't really make sense. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. That's one of the greatest lies of liberalism, that there is a such thing as political neutrality. Right. Like that just doesn't exist. That's one of its inherent contradictions. 
It's like deism. You want a god, but you don't want him involved. Uh, yeah. So I think I think that's one of the fundamental flaws right. in the system. It's a feature, not a bug. But um, I cautiously say that I think we can start to reimagine what's possible because look, and I run through that litany of things that like we have seen, right? Uh, from and not just. Some of these things aren't new, obviously, right? Like this is a settler colonial society built on a slave class. Um, but I would say that the mass engagement with these facts is changing from what I can see. We're seeing kids who are becoming adults that grew up with the internet that have easy access to a lot of this information. There's a whole, you know, fractured and maybe atomized media subclass that can, uh, you know, that isn't Fox or MSNBC or anything like that, that can push these narratives and push them convincingly and with some rigor. Um, I mean, I still can't believe that Teen Vogue publishes stuff. I was like, I have to start fucking pitching to Teen Vogue now. Like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Isn't that something? No. And I'll tell you something else that kind of worries me. This thing that worries me is like, I feel it's very strange that we have this kind of black managerial class uh, in liberalism who kind of have access to the prestige media who won't say a lot of the things that you're saying as radically as you're saying them, but still kind of framing this narrative of, okay, the far left is just a bunch of bros Mm -hmm. that are, um, that don't understand identity politics and i just i feel like we're too many people are talking past each other and it's very uh, frustrating to me but one thing that they do weaponize and i think it's probably hard for you guys to fight against is they'll say yeah they talk a good talk but look at the actual numbers of black people there at the meetings or in the ranks so how do you fight that criticism where people try to go past whatever you're saying and just focus on how much representation you have because the one thing that the mainstream democrats do have they can point to a lot of black people in the seats regardless of what those black people are actually advocating for or or getting done yeah i mean honestly that's a fair criticism uh whenever i engage with that i just say yeah that's true now you know, and that's going to be up to individual chapters to figure out how to change that. Um, we had an organizing committee meeting a couple weeks ago. So the south side of town, even farther south than me, is Airport Road in Santa Fe. And that's basically where the entire Latino community gets pushed out as gentrification begins to creep in, right? You know, I'm guilty of that. You know, that's basically like how I live in this neighborhood, right? Uh, so I'm not innocent of that. But one of the things that I brought up at the meeting is I was like, we need canvassing training now, not later, because whatever we do, if it does not involve helping that community and not in some paternalistic way, then it doesn't matter because it's just going to perpetuate what already exists, but maybe with a human face. So that's, that's what it's going to have to be. It's going to have to come from individual chapters taking initiative to do that. This isn't a situation that's like, oh, build it and they will come. No, absolutely not. Like, that's not how that works. Like you have to make a case to people and you have to be accountable to them and you have to figure out how to show up. Mm -hmm. You can't just be like, okay, well, we're a socialist organization. We have all these great principles that are farther left and the Democrats doesn't Mm -hmm. that sound great. I mean, first of all, if I wasn't white, I'd be like, why the fuck should I trust you? 
I don't know you. You're not a part of my community. And that's a fair indictment. That's the history of America. So that's going to get worked out um, at the local level. And it's going to be a, a ground up thing, which I think is good. I think it's good that the locals have the authority and the autonomy to figure out how that's going to work on a case-by-case basis. Right now, I'm looking at taking some of uh, the Bronx's mobilizer strategy stuff and figuring out how to graft it into our environment. So hopefully in six months, I can put up some numbers, some changes in our uh, membership um, and write a medium piece or something like that. That's basically like, this is how you do this in this kind of area. And, you know, to just add to that, look, Everything takes time. You're not going to have the numbers that you need to have overnight. So you're going to have to keep doing the work to, to get it to happen. I mean, who the fuck, a hundred years ago, who would have thought that today the vast majority of black people are in the Democratic Party, right? So, so <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. not to say yeah. that it's going to take a hundred years to, to get uh, black people to come over and, and give an honest look at, at what you guys are proposing but you know it's just to say that you have to get out there and do the work and that's that's kind of all you can do sometimes you know show people that your your goals are serious that you have a set of principles that you're going to stick to but i can right. tell you now um a controversy like this can piss away any gains that have been made you know however incremental however incremental oh, God, the gains were you know um a controversy like this For can sure. be yeah. devastating so I think that's why um, strong statements are, are definitely um, would need to be made in regards to that situation. I think something good that happened is you see how people in DSA have treated this controversy, not just sweeping it away or saying it doesn't matter or, you know, try to make it about something else. Compare that to the people who had a problem with Kamala Harris's record as a DA. The first thing they try to do is tell you, oh, sure, a lot of people are DAs, or what do you want? You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's, there's a lot of yeah. attempt to minimize or dismiss, and I think it is a good start where, at least when this happened, no one's trying to just sweep it under the rug and pretend that it's not real or it doesn't matter. No, exactly. I mean, Well, at this point, you know, even though it has experienced tremendous growth, 25, 26,000 people nationwide is still a very small organization when you think about mm. it and, and it's still small enough to where you know uh, even a, a you know a minority mm-hmm. if it's vocal yeah, yeah absolutely can, and i mean you know steer the most ship most of them kamal harris the thing i was thinking about was that whole uh uh thing that happened about hillary clinton and the fucking uh mansion slaves that she had uh oh yeah that, that, it felt like way more like that um with people who were trying to defend fatante it was just like a shitload of whataboutery and uh really petty partisanship like it just didn't make any fucking sense um you know i mean that's the thing like right now i've been thinking a lot about the relationship between ideology and ethics and i think right now we're seeing a lot of rupturing of different ideologies that are becoming irrelevant or are, after a long period of ossification uh, just can't function anymore with the world we're now living in. And that's creating a crisis, of, a crisis of what you can actually ethically indict people for. And I think that is part of why there's so much talking past each other. Because people build their identities out of this. And so it's really hard to figure out, establish a new common ground. You know, for all my critiques of liberalism, at least there, that was part of the dream that it had, that it could establish a common ground on which people could engage and a set of principles upon which yeah, things could be debated. 
And I think right now we're seeing. I that think fall that's away. a great point that you made. That the having a set of principles that are guiding, you know, for the entire organization is, is I think, a much better way to approach things because you know you can have disagreements with leadership. You can have fractures. Uh, it's inevitable. But the one thing that should never change is a commitment to a specific set of principles that um, everyone can adhere to. I think you made a very good point there. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that was the, the part of the piece where I talk about democratic common sense, where you just have to like trust mm-hmm. that the people can decide. Like that's what we have to be about, so, the people deciding for themselves. With that being said, um, as, you, as you guys have experienced this rapid growth over the last few years, um, obviously that's going to come with its own set of challenges, right? You only have so much uh, manpower and infrastructure. And from what I understand, you guys at the moment don't hold everybody to a specific set of, of, uh, of um, I guess, I don't want to say principles, but I guess for lack of a better term, you guys don't hold anyone to a specific set of standards. Or do you? Is everyone that comes under the tent, do they have a specific set of standards that everyone has to adhere to if they're going to be a part of the organization? Or or how does that part work? Forgive me if you already said that and I just didn't hear it, but I'd like to. No, I think that's a great question. Um, uh, So there is a general set of bylaws that are given to you when you establish a chapter and you vote on them, what you want to add, what you want to keep. Um, And that's on a per chapter basis, right? so some of the things that Fatante has been able to pull off, uh, which are fucking nuts, where he runs a meeting about himself by himself and calls on only his friends. Uh, oh, man, that was amazing. I think you guys were talking about, um, uh, before the McGregor-Mayweather uh, fight, you were talking about, like, uh, change the whole game and leave, or whatever it is. Like, I'm taking all my toys with me and fuck you. Like, that is the ultimate version of that. That's pretty much what it sounds like. He's got his own little fight to move. Uh, just running it by fiat, you know. Um, I was just wondering how long their cha- how large their chapter is compared to some of the other chapters. Like, are they is, are they wielding an inordinate amount of power within the whole national structure, or does it even work like that? Um, I don't think. I don't know. It doesn't work like that. I actually think it's it's uh, right now to. Uh, too localized for that to happen, which I think is ultimately good um, from what I've seen. Uh, if somebody wants to like, you know, blow my shit up on Twitter about how wrong I am, please do. Uh, but, uh, hold on. Yeah. What I will say is, um, is this Austin is about three times the size of Santa Fe's chapter. Our chapter is about, you know, we have between 30 and 50 people show up per every general meeting. The last meeting they had, I think they had something around between 150 and 180. Yeah. So it's proportionate to what uh, the amount of people that you have in each respective city. I just find it interesting, man, because um, you you hear similar stories about organizations, um, large and small, all across the country, um, because this is something that I'm actually experiencing right now. I'm a part of a a parent organization that works within the uh, Pasadena Unified School District, and each school site has a, a representative chapter it's the same thing, you know, the, the biggest, um, we're actually the largest where I am, but we have one branch that sits over all of the branches and each branch is kind of doing their own little thing, following a loosely established set of guidelines. So one of the things that we try to do is fight for 
an established set of guidelines so that everyone has to be governed under them and follow the same rules. But, um, you know, that was shot down because I think what ends up happening is the people who have the power. Um, they they kind of have an advantage of keeping the rule of playing fast and loose with the rules. If it's not too, too structured, they can kind of pick and choose a la carte totally, what yeah. rules they want to really enforce, which ones they don't. You know what I'm saying? And it helps them to kind of kind of stay where they are and, and keep power because no one can point to a specific thing that says oh, you can't do that. That's against the, 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 the charter. That's against the guidelines. You can't do that. They, they have a, a, um, a reason. They have a dog in the fight, basically, to keep the rules kind of uh, loosely vague. Right. But then what happens if you go the opposite extreme and have it too formalized, then you get people who learn how to weaponize that. And right. just, I mean, there's people who just with Robert's rules of order yeah. and just turn, turn a meeting into chaos by just nitpicking everything. How you, for, yeah, yeah, how you articulate every single sentence. And, and I that's yeah. what, yeah. And I think it's one of the, no, I think one of the original appeals of things like Occupy and Black Lives Matter was how decentralized it was. I think people probably got sick of all that formalism, but there is there is a use for it because you know it that lack of structure kind of limited the effects that Occupy and Black Lives Matter could have after a certain point, and it's I guess the thing that both of you guys are kind of it saying that tough. has in common is it's kind of tough to find that balance because right now it seems like it's like Fatante is using a lot of that formalism and rules to kind of um, yeah play absolutely the game himself right you know, now. Um... It sucks because sort of what we're talking about is also understanding not just how to have principles and how many rules or how little rules, but how to create a culture of good yeah. faith within an organization, which Absolutely. mitigates a lot of that, right? And that's, that's a yes. tricky, all of this is tricky to do. And one of the most breathtaking things for me about the national convention was getting to experience after, you know, uh, dealing with the internet uh, day in, day out, like, experiencing good faith like IRL <laughs> was uh, amazing and I can say that it did actually function like that people heard each other's arguments to and for uh, different things in good faith um, so it's been uh, not just frustrating but angering to have this happen right afterwards I mean for my own ethical ideological reasons but also the psychological uh, effect of yeah. having that kind of betrayed by some fucking jackass yeah, and 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 that's and that cynicism that creeps in is terrible. I was wondering if we actually got into what the controversy was as far as um, what with uh, Danny Fatante and what his, you know, why why the DSA and and, and you know the, is having this turmoil that they're having right now. What's what's the beef with uh, Mr. Fatante? Did we did we did we get into that? Yeah, I think. Oh yeah, we went straight. We went straight inside her. Yeah, baseball. yeah, yeah. That's that's true. So, so you know what? Uh, let's give Emma the floor and summarize um, the article. So, so yeah, have at it. Okay, yeah, I'll try to make this as uh, quick as possible. So, like I said, I was a delegate at the national convention in Chicago earlier this month. Uh, one of the things we did was we voted on the national political committee, which steers the DSA as an organization at the national level. Um. There are a lot of different uh, platforms uh, proposed by different slates. Slates are groups of people 
that are running along the same ideological lines together for uh, the committee. And there are also individuals. One of those was Danny Fatante. I hadn't heard of him uh, until um, I saw his campaign information. Uh, and when I was sitting with a table of Austin comrades, they had nothing but good things to say about him. Um, and he seemed like a great dude that I wanted to be a part of the organization. I was excited to get to cast my vote for him, unironically. Uh, I, I, I want to um, do a quick uh, interruption here to say I actually know different people who have been involved in uh, Austin DSA, including someone who moved here. And just to back up what you said, the amount of goodwill that he seemed to have built up there is totally true. They were all very, very big believers and vocal supporters, People, everyone who knew him. And everyone's kind of surprised at what he kind of turned into once this controversy happened. But yeah, I just wanted to back up that point that you said that he had built up a lot of goodwill in Austin. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You know, and honestly, looking at, I still have his uh, campaign flyer um, in the bag I had with me there. And I was looking at it again the other day when I was writing the article, um, you know, and he had this huge list of organizations that he had worked with, helped unionize, et cetera. I mean, it was truly amazing. A fair play to him. Uh, but there was one <laughs> that just said, I organize state workers. And I was like, I don't know, fucking teachers or nurses or some shit. Looks good to me. You know, uh, I was like, this is a long ass list. Maybe there was a whole bunch of things you didn't want to put down here. That's fine. Uh, and so I voted for him. And then a few days later, um, I think I was in San Francisco by that time, like doing work for some nonprofit. And, uh, I get a text from a friend in the DSA that said, uh, Danny Fatante organized cops. It's like, mm. fucking excuse me? Uh, and I think we all had that reaction. Uh, and there was a huge backlash for it. Because at that same convention, we had voted to make prison abolition an explicit part of the DSA's oh. aims. And to me, that's a shearing contradiction. That's something about which you cannot be neutral if you are going to make that a national... A national... Uh, goal you know you can't be like yeah prison abolition but let's talk that's like being like i want wall street reform and i'm gonna start by organizing uh boards of trustees against their shareholders and you know that seems very common sense that you can't be for both but in an era where you have hillary clinton saying that she's totally for black lives matter but you know, we have to help the police unions. Like, we cannot take it for granted that's, that that's the only way to do politics, you know? And the, yeah, the common absolutely. sense truth is, you know, you have to choose sides sometimes. Everything can't just be both sides 24-7. No, yeah. I mean, that's like the false golden mean principle. You know, where yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, let's just find the middle. Like, that's good. <laughs> like, no, it's not. I'm not trying to find the fucking middle with Antifa. We're not with Antifa, with fascists. You know, like, I'm not trying to, like, fucking hang out with Richard Spencer and be like, oh, I'm interested in what you have to say as a realistic political program. Uh, I'm wondering how, I mean, he, you know, he said he had these all these credentials and like T said, he built up a lot of goodwill. Nobody knew. I, I understand that maybe. No, some I understand maybe that in his campaign literature, he might have left that out. But as far as. In, oh, I'm sorry. What did you I, I missed that last thing you said. I meant. No, no, yeah, some people oh. did. I think I think you're right to bring that up. Mm. Yeah, but you're still right to bring it up. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I was, I was yeah. just wondering how that, um, how just that squeaked through, you know. But it didn't, huh? Yeah, yeah. I can explain it like this. Yeah, it's it's just it's a logistical problem, right? So, uh, two years ago, 
at that same time, what did the convention have? Like maybe the DSA had like a few thousand people. Mm-hmm. Like let's say 5,000. I don't really know what the numbers are. Uh, and so let's say we had like maybe 100 delegates, mm-hmm. right? And Danny ran in 2015 saying, I worked with Cleet. And by the way, DSA has had cop collaborators on its NPC before. That's something I say in the article. It's not as radical as people... Which it has not been as radical as I think certain members think it has been. Mm. That's just a reality. That can be changed, right? We have the power to change right. that. But we also have to acknowledge that that has historically not been the case. Okay, so now fast forward two years to 2017. The organization has grown five times. Honestly, since this whole Fatante thing blew up, there have been basically an extra 3,000 members yeah, that have joined. So now we're pushing 30,000. We're getting close to that. Uh, and when you just do the math, like the amount of people that might have been at 2015 and at 2017 is very, very small. And the amount of people that could relay that information uh, in an efficient way amidst yeah. all that other chaos and all that was going on is incredibly unlikely. Especially since he omitted it out of his campaign program this year. Yes. Has to have been. Yeah. And, and, it's, pretty, and it's pretty slick to just flood the paper with all those groups because it makes it very easy to camouflage That's very true. a piece of contrary information you know by a just dumping it in with you know your long track record it's because he has a pretty long track record so it makes it easy to emphasize some yeah. things and de-emphasize uh but others. it had to be like glaringly obvious i think though i mean because then he give like everything was really specific as far as organizations that he dealt with and whatnot and then he just went with this vague state workers thing which just nobody yeah. just picked up on, right? Right, yeah. I mean, that's the fragility of good faith that we were talking about earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, in that yeah. environment where you're experiencing that, for, for me, for the first time on the left, like, in real life, in a very concrete way, uh, it never dawned on me. Yeah. Because uh, the thing about cynicism and mistrust is that uh, they're bulletproof in their own ways. Like, you have to really talk someone out of that, but trust you can lose in an instant. Yeah. I hear you. So, so yeah. where where do you guys go from here? What's what happens now, or what do you hope happens? That's that's two things. What do you think is likely to happen now, and what do you hope will happen? What's the best case and worst case? Okay, scenario? so best case scenario is uh, there's enough pressure put on to boot this guy out. So if anybody goes on to my Twitter, uh, there I have pinned this article, and in the replies. Um, Ramzan Cannon and Sam Natale, who are both lawyers in the DSA, did a great job of debunking the NPC and my argument that there was no malfeasance. Uh, and uh, I take so I think people could take those and sort of put pressure on the NPC to admit it is wrong. And I think right now there's a lot of regrouping going on to figure out mm-hmm. how best to strategize because you don't want to spend all of your time fighting this fight when you also need to be organizing in your local, right? Because there is stuff mm-hmm. happening there that's yeah. like more urgent in a lot of work. So um, best case scenario, that's what happens. Worst case scenario is the DSA wow. doesn't learn shit from this. That's the worst thing wow. that could happen, right? Uh, is that we don't learn anything from this. We don't figure out how to... Uh, create clear campaign rules and things like that and have a better system from that. Because that stuff was just pouring out like what felt like almost unofficially. And I work full-time, you know what I mean? I do DSA, I work at a bookstore, and I'm also a freelance writer. So I don't have a lot of time 
to sift through all of that. And it all shows up like right before the thing. So we need that. And then the um, last thing I'm going to say is the worst thing that could happen is, like I say in the article, that what's happening with Austin and the Defend Our Hoods group uh, becomes a national problem. Like I have to, we want to work with Red Nation here. It's an indigenous group, right? Uh, before this Fatante thing, before the NPC ruled on it, I was drafting our solidarity letter with Red Nation against the Entrado, which is the celebration of conquistador history here in Santa Fe. Um, and I was like, fuck, this is going to make it way hard to talk to them, isn't it? Like, if they know about this, this is going to suck for us. I think one of the problems that faces the left and radicals is that kind of higher standard that people hold it to almost kind of works against them because people just kind of almost expect yeah. liberals to be unprincipled. So people are just <laughs> like, well, of course liberals are going to have that. You know, that, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Of course they're going to be DAs. Of course they're going to um, equivocate with uh, cops and to play both sides of every coin and stuff. But it's interesting how people kind of have a very... In a way, it's a good thing that people give the left and radicals less leeway to compromise, but it also kind of hurts with the pragmatism that um, sometimes becomes necessary, but that you don't want to become necessary. Like, you know, you don't want to make that slow slide into what white moderates have become. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to sort of tie together a bunch of things that we're talking about, you know, when we're talking about, you know, people expecting liberals to have no principles. Um, I'd like, I think that's runs parallel to their claim about liberals being realistic as opposed to the left. I think that's how cynical people are right now. I think that can change, but the fact that you equate having no principles with being realistic and pragmatic basically means you've given up on any kind of government's governance as a viable means for improving life in this country or anywhere else. And the funny thing is that mindset has become so ingrained that people actually believe it in the face of contrary evidence. Like, for example, online, I notice a lot of liberals will come at me like, oh yeah, you know, if you want to live in La La Land, fine but you know if you if you want to live if you want to win elections and if you want to uh you know win that's what we do and like wait a minute you just lost a thousand seats like like yeah yeah like like how is that still a talking point of yours uh like i guess if you said that when obama was riding high but you guys are losing elections and the left and radicals are actually making bigger gains than you are i mean without a lot of fuckery and dirty play uh, Bernie Sanders could really have won. Like, like yes, you don't have this track record that you're pretending is, you know, proof of how realistically you guys win. But it's just interesting how ingrained that narrative is that it can survive even in the face of a devastating loss. They will still hold themselves up as the winning wing of um, progressivism. Yeah, I mean, that's... Well, that's because they have power right now, right? Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you just become blind to the reality when you have that much power that is... Even though they've lost, they have more power than the left in America right now. And I hope that changes. It fucking better. But that's what I, You get comfortable. And you're like, well, I'm right because I'm Chuck Schumer and I have this Senate seat. And you don't. So fuck you. Uh, which doesn't make any sense. Um, 
it's just it's like a might make makes right mentality yeah we have a joke where, where um we always say in response to certain statements that come out in the press or online we say um uh, because i'm white and i say so <laughs> and i think I, th- I think it's certain i think in certain instances you can just make that into because i have power and i say i mean so. what's the difference when you say i'm white and i say so that's basically what you're saying yeah, exactly yeah exactly yeah, yeah exactly There's nothing that you you're like to fuck yeah that. i'm gonna get away with this yeah. crime look at me you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, I sorry. Go on. No, I was just going to say. Um, you know, I was thinking back to um, some of the 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 movements that are hap- that have happened over the last few years, and um, one of the key weaknesses I always managed to see was because of the the way that it was um, loosely structured or decentralized they would always be able the media has always been able to kind of pick and choose the winners right in the sense that they can go to the person who has the the pretty smile is articulate and select them as the person who is the and i'm using air quotes leader or one of the leaders of of a movement and then they can also make the organization look completely feckless and useless and, and juvenile by going up and, and just speaking to a blathering idiot and presenting them as the face of the movement, right? You saw that a lot with Occupy. Like, they would, they would avoid, and we say this in the Black community a lot, mm-hmm. they go to the most inarticulate person they can find to discuss a serious issue instead of going to this person that's super articulate to discuss it, right? Because that's done on purpose. And I feel like the same strategy is used a lot of times with um, some of the more progressive left-leaning groups. Uh, they'll give an idiot a hot mic and let them talk for minutes and hours at a time. But then the people who are actually able to articulate the goals and principles of the movement, they don't really give them the time of day. So I wonder if you, if will you guys find yourself in that kind of a situation? Oh. And and if so, how can you avoid that? Yeah, no doubt that's going to happen if we keep growing. Um mm-hmm. It's hard to say how to preempt that because that happens with history too, right? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, the thing true. I'm thinking about as you were talking was I'm reading this book right now called Black Against Empire. Mm-hmm. It's like a history of the Black Panther Party. And uh, in the book where I am right now, one of the things they talk about is after Martin Luther King dies, the contested legacy and how essentially establishment people figure out ways to pick and choose what he said mm. as a way to confirm the fact that they were basically on his side all along. I mean, any honest reading of history would show that that's indeed yes. untrue, right? Uh, but it was a way to disempower um, people like El- Eldridge Cleaver f- for all his uh, faults, who was uh, running as a presidential mm-hmm. candidate at the time, right? Uh, so it's that kind of thing. And I don't really know what you can do to counteract that. Honestly, I don't have a strategy <laughs> for that. I hope someone does. Um, one thing that I can say is... Uh, so I come from, my family is from um, Belfast, and I grew up in an Irish Republican family, which means I believe I'm an anti-imperialist, and I believe in a 32-county United Socialist Republic of Ireland, right? And one of the major socialist parties out there is the Sinn Féin, which means ourselves alone in Irish. And one of the reasons why they've been able to build up seats, despite the fact that they used to be nothing more than an IRA clearinghouse, yeah. is that they still go door-to-door. They still talk to people. They show up for the community. So I'm hoping that whatever happens in the media plays second fiddle to what people experience with their neighbors. 
Yes. And you know, that's something I like about um, what I read with the DSA is that grassroots bottom-up organizing is still a very big part of it. Whereas uh, Mm -hmm. I think the best term I've heard for what um, mainstream politics has become is the term professional managerial class, where everything is top down, mm-hmm. everything is um, bureaucracy, and you have you have um, Hillary Clinton not even knowing how to even really run a ground game, you know, and they just expect things to be dictated. And a lot of the um, black liberals and the professional managerial class, like the the black bourgeoisie, is just lacking in that same mode of mode of thinking that that whole idea that you can just manage everything you can just care about presidential elections and everything else will follow suit and you guys do have a very good local focus that i think more yeah yeah and i'm guilty of it too like i'm trying to learn more about my my local uh politics myself i'm trying to get into my community board and trying to figure out what's going on but a lot of us just expect national politics to solve everything. Uh, you see that with Obama. Like, like, like we had we a black president and what was really tangibly able to be done. Right. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's, that's the thing, right? When we talk about things like uh, the working day, the fight for an eight-hour day or less, I'd like it to be less, please, thank God, less. Yes, sir. Uh, Amen. Yeah, right? Um, is that that affords you time to actually build a community. An assault on workers' time is an assault on the fabric of a community. Because this shit yeah, takes yeah. time and energy. Yeah. You take that it from does. people, it becomes an atomized, internally aggressive society that can't cohere or agree on anything. And you kind of see it with the infighting that's still going on is they are still... Uh, a lot of the Democrat establishment is still so focused on Hillary versus Bernie and relitigating it. And a lot of times <laughs> yeah. people on the left kind of have to get into that mode to respond to the accusations. But within their own spaces, when I read the literature, or the transcripts of meetings on their own, they're not just thinking about Bernie, 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 next president, who's going to be our next candidate. They're doing a lot of grassroots local stuff, you know, mm-hmm. when it's time to engage with a Democrat who's bringing it up. Yeah, it comes up. But th- that's one thing I notice is that there's just that professional managerial class just yeah. keeps and truth at the be, top. Yeah. Truth be told, I don't mean to cut you off to you. Were you done with your point? Uh, yeah, okay. I'm done with it. Go on. Okay. And truth be told, man, you know, give credit where credit is due. Uh, the conservatives managed to do that over the last what 10 12 years or so mm-hmm. maybe even further back the way that they were able to creep into all of those local offices of course they used a lot of janky stuff, redistricting and all of that kind of thing we know that the games that are played locally but you know when you look at yeah the tea party yeah the tea party did a ground yeah game. and then when you look yeah. at the the local map right we we're just focused on the republic or the conservatives have the, the executive they have the house senate and I guess the judicial branch now. But when you look local and state, my goodness, man, the picture is even more bleak in a lot of ways. 
you know, when you look at how many state legislatures they have and, and how many governorships they have yeah. and how many mayors. You know. And that's why, yeah, yeah, that's why they're so deluded because right. these people really think that Trump is the creation of a problem, that on this, on this view from the ground, all this reality in the lives of real life working people would be just as bleak, yeah. but the figurehead would have been different. So it would have been paradise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you... it, it, with this other thing, because we're also talking about managerialism, right? And one of the things that's amazing about uh, bureaucrats, technocrats, mm. whatever, is that they're usually mm. coming up with solutions to problems they made in the first place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. And so that, that's a way to perpetuate their power. Mm. So when they say you need to look to the top, like that's what's going to matter. It's because they're going to have control over yes. that. That might not actually be the case, but that's also where they're going to manage everything from. Right. So it's going to look like the well solution said. comes from there. That's not the truth. Um, yeah, so, yeah. No, I, I don't no think I have any final so questions. I'll, I'll give it's you guys the floor if you have and, any um, uh, final questions. To you ask. know, I, as your organization grows, you know, I, I really hope you guys stay vigilant and and learn from um, this situation as what happened. I don't know how it's going to play out in the future, but you know, I'm rooting for you guys, man, and I really hope that uh, you learn from it and grow from it. And, um, you know, just continue to fight, man. Don't lose faith in it. You know, when you work, when you do community work, man, any kind of organizing, any kind of community work where you're putting yourself out there, you're sacrificing money and time. Um, it's every defeat can be backbreaking, man, in terms of your emotional well-being and your mental well-being. I've experienced it. And I just really want you guys to um, to stay strong, man, and and recoup and regroup and figure out how to your best move forward, man. I really hope you guys do. Yeah, I will say this: this the story really resonated with D because I think out of all three of us, he does the most actual local um, involvement and work. Like uh, he's actually inspired me to get more locally involved too. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot of uh, stuff that resonated with with you, right, D? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, me and him can talk for hours off the air and compare notes. And similarly, the, obviously, um, DSA is on a much grander scale. But I mean, at the end of the day, everything is local. So absolutely. What happens, yeah. what happens locally is, you know, a microcosm of everything else. So, yeah. And thank you, D. Thank you. No problem, man. Well, I mean, I definitely appreciate you coming in, I, you know, provided some insight. Um, I also wish you guys well with your organizing and whatnot. I hope you uh, really develop uh, those core principles and values and stick to them and, and don't waver and, and fall into this kind of uh, yeah. moral relativism that, you know, seems pervasive with a lot of society. And uh, we're going to need that ground up approach to things, you know, as long, if you stay, and if you stay true to the principles, you know, you're always going to yeah. have that you know the yep. street. You always gonna have the streets, Absolutely. and you you're gonna need that going forward. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So, Emmett, any uh, final thoughts? No, man. I mean, this is it. We're in it now. There's no going back. I just, that's just what I have to say. That this is a fight. It's a fight. That's what this is. This is a fight over human life. Not just this Danny Fatante bullshit, but where we are right now. Yeah. There's no 1994 that's gonna happen again. And that ended up being brutal anyway. It all depends on who you consider to be a human being. Right. So this is it. Well said. And we need everybody. Well said. All right. So thanks for 
yeah. being with us. Yeah, thank you guys for having and me. Wish you all the um, yeah, wish you all the appreciate your time. Uh, good wishes in the world, and we will have you on again for oh, sure. Thank you. Yeah, so, it'd be my pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, please keep us posted, man. You know, I want to see yeah. how this progresses. Yeah, for yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, so have a good one, guys, and we will pick it up on the flip All side. Right. See you. All right, thanks. Peace.